we're going to be spending quite a wee bit of time in the Minor Prophets, and I want to say something uh, very important to that end. There is no shame in turning to the table of contents at the start of your Bible. Remember that, it's important. There is never any shame in turning to the table of contents, and uh, you may need to do that as we journey through one or two of the Minor Prophets together. Uh, Jonah chapter 3 is our text for today, and it's on page 928 in your pew Bibles. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Amen. Father, we thank you for uh, your words to us. We thank you for your written words. We thank you for your living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would uh, be granted grace to sit under the authority of your word as it is proclaimed, that that word would find a home in our hearts, and that we would leave better equipped to live our lives, to serve and to honor the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Father, may we know the joy that comes to those who trust and obey Him. 
to that end, Father, in the, the, the weakness of my words and the, the frailty of my voice, we ask that the, the strength of your voice and that your words would be heard very clearly in this place. In Christ's name, amen. Well, two weeks ago in our Sunday morning service, we took our first look at the book of Jonah. Uh, we're doing a kind of overview, a two-week overview of the book of Jonah. We saw the foolishness of Jonah's rebellion against God. We compared the start of verse 1 of chapter 1 to the start of verse 3 of chapter 1. And as soon as you get to the first half of verse 3, you realize, you recognize there's going to be trouble ahead for Jonah. The words of the Lord came to Jonah. That's chapter 1, verse 1. But Jonah. That's chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah ran away to escape, to evade the eye of God. Jonah, the so-called servant of the Lord, on the run from his God. It's a ridiculous story, and yet it's one that is so familiar in our day, I think. Certainly in the church that has grown accustomed to being very comfortable in countries like our own. We have received the words of the Lord, but many of us think that we are more clever than the Lord himself, that we know better than what God has to say to us in his words. And so we run from him. And our running from God may look very scandalous and shocking, but it may look very respectable. We can run from God and still come to church on a Sunday. We can run from God and still have a life which looks very morally upright to those around us. But it is a foolish journey to embark upon. And so the book of Jonah poses all of us a question, what of us? What of us? What of me? If I had a, a book in the Bible, if I had four chapters dedicated to me, the book of Ross, what would it say? Would it say the words of the Lord came to Ross and though it scared him, though it was not what he wanted to hear, Though it cost him, he trusted and he obeyed. Or would it say, the word of the Lord came to Ross, but Ross ran away. What would it say of me? What would it say of you if you had your story told truthfully in four chapters of the Bible? What would it say about your response to the Lord and to the word of the Lord and to the call of the Lord on your life? When you become a Christian and you say Jesus is Lord, little do you realize how much that will cost you. And I think of that often when I'm uh, up here doing a baptism. It's a wonderful thing. <coughs> to see someone come up here and step into the pool and to affirm that Christ is Lord of their life, both, both with their lips as they 
take those few very simple vows and with the act of being baptized itself to say that they have died to the old life, the life they lived as Lord of their own lives, and that they have been born again into this wonderful new life lived with the Lord and for the Lord. Little do they realize, I think often, how much it will cost them to truly live with Jesus as Lord. And that's okay. As long as when the going does get rough or get tough, that they stay faithful to Christ, that they continue to live under His Lordship. It's the same uh, when we have a, a wedding and the young couple stand at the front of the church and they promise to love one another for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, for as long as they both shall live, Little do they realize the weight of those words, what it will cost them to love one another faithfully for life when sickness does come or trials or troubles. But that's okay, as long as they remain faithful to their vows when things do get hard. It's the same for us as followers of Jesus. No matter how much it costs us to live under the Lordship of Christ, it's worth it. Where would you rather be than in the will of God? There is never any higher joy or deeper peace or safer place than life lived in the will of God. Where could you run from God and why would you run from Him? But Jonah does run. He gets on a boat and off they go, seeking to run from the presence of the Lord. You'll remember that the sea symbolized all that was chaotic, all that was dark, all that was dangerous. It symbolized all that stood against God. It symbolized almost the absence of the presence of God. But Jonah was to find that even there on the sea, even in the storms, God was there and God was in control. And the Lord in His sovereignty and in His graciousness sends two things. He sends a big storm and He sends a big fish. So the big storm comes and the sailors panic, not only for their livelihoods, but for their lives. They establish that it's Jonah that has brought this storm to be, and somewhat reluctantly to their credit, they throw Jonah overboard. But no sooner has Jonah been swallowed by the sea than he is swallowed by this great big fish, the fish that God has prepared and in place ready to receive him. So the fish swallows Jonah. Then we move on to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah is humbled. We have this amazing psalm of repentance. If chapter 1 is rebellion, chapter 2 is repentance. You think, surely now it's too late. Surely now he has gone too far. 
But no, even here, in the sea, in the storm, in the fish, even here, he has not gone too far to be heard on high. He comes to the end of himself. He recognizes that there is nothing he can do. There is no one he can blame. And he calls upon his God. God hears his prayer and rescues Jonah. The fish vomits him out onto land. And there we have left poor Jonah for the last fortnight on the beach covered in fish sick. I really hope that the first half of the book of Jonah is enough to persuade all of us of the foolishness of trying to run from God. But just in case we have made the same mistake that he made, we ought to be encouraged this morning that our God is the God of second chances. We ought to give thanks to God that there is a Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Who could complain if the book of Jonah ended with the end of chapter 2? Not Jonah, anyway, that's for sure. Who could complain if it ended with uh, chapter 1 verse 15? Again, not Jonah. But praise God, we have chapter 3, verse 1. Then the words of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. This is good news for those of us who can identify with the old hymn. I think we sang it last week. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Have you left the God you love? Have you been wandering away from Him? Give thanks this morning that He is the God of second chances. That's not to say, of course, that we can presume upon the grace of God. It's not to say that we should then look at this story, look at Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 and say, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just live my life with myself as Lord. I'll go and do what I want to do. I'll have fun. And then when I'm old and wrinkly and I can't have fun anymore, then I'll say sorry and it'll be fine. God will uh, tidy it all up for me and we'll be okay. I think it was Augustine in his uh, confessions, he says, as a young man, I prayed, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. Well, that's a dangerous game to play. We cannot presume upon the grace of God because we do not know, firstly, if we'll have a tomorrow. Every breath that we breathe is a gift from God, and none of us know how many more breaths we will have left to breathe. It's a dangerous game to play because sin is addictive and disruptive. Jesus said, he who sins is a slave to sin. It's addictive and it's destructive. So we think that we can control sin, but if we give ourselves to sin, we will find that sin controls us and destroys us. It's a dangerous game to play because God may give us over to our sin. Paul speaks about that in Romans chapter 1. It's a dangerous 
game to play because the Lord may stop us from reaching the heights that we could have reached otherwise, like Moses, as he peers over into the land of promise, knowing that he will never, even after all of those years, he will never be able to set foot in that land because of his sin. So we cannot presume upon the grace of God and assume that we can make a mess of our lives and get the Lord to tidy it all up for us later on. But nevertheless, He is the God of second chances. And if you have made a mess of your life and you can hear His Word today, then you do have another chance. We see that so often in Scripture. We've had a lot of visiting preachers, as you know, recently, and at least two of them have spoken on Peter when he was restored, when he was given that chance by Jesus to affirm his love for the Lord three times, just as he had denied Jesus three times. He is restored, and then he is given this wonderful uh, high calling from his Lord. We could add many others to that list. We could add uh, Abraham. We could add Samson. We could add many more to that list along with Peter. How thankful we ought to be that God is the God of second chances. He was for Abraham and Samson and even King David, Peter, all of these people. But we see it not just in those stories, we see it in the big story of Scripture, don't we? Adam sinned, and since Adam We've all been sinning. We know the price of sin. In Adam, all die. But God paid the price to give us a second chance, another chance. Jesus is the second Adam who succeeded where the first failed. He lived a sinless life and yet died a sinner's death. He died our death that we might live. God made him who had no sin to be sin. That in him we might become the very righteousness of God. In Adam all die, but all who are in Christ will live. Actually, it's better than a second chance because even although we may stumble, even although we may fail, even although we may fall in Christ, we are safe and secure. In Christ, our sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. In Christ, we are clothed in His righteousness and kept in His love. In Christ, our salvation is secure. In Christ, we are saved and we are sent into the world with the good news of His love. God is a God of second chances, but actually that's not a phrase that Scripture uses of God. Better to use a biblical phrase. God is a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. That's the phrase that we read of later in the book of Jonah. But first, let's come back to the story. Jonah goes. He preaches this message that doesn't seem likely to be well received. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. I mean, 
it seems to me very unlikely that this pagan city famed for its violence and its godlessness is going to receive Jonah's message well. And sometimes we think the same when it comes to the gospel and our call to go into our world, our community, with the good news of Jesus. What chance do we have? What chance does this message have? Why tell people about Christ? Why tell people about God? Why tell people about the gospel? It's impossible. My friends, my family, my colleagues, my country, what chance does the gospel have here today? This world that we live in, where man is the measure of all things, and it, it is assumed that there is no God. I'll just be laughed at. I'll just be sneered at. I'll just be marginalized. It'll just make things awkward. No one likes awkward silences. We forget to use Jonah's own phrase, salvation is from the Lord. If we tell people the good news, some will be ready, some will have been prepared to receive that message. No matter how far they may seem, God can bring them in. No matter how dead they may be, God can speak into death and bring forth life, no matter the darkness in which they have chosen to live. The God who said, let there be light, and there was light, can bring light into their lives as well. No matter how difficult, nothing is impossible for God. God had prepared not only the, the fish for Jonah, but God had prepared the Ninevites, for the message that he was to proclaim. I wonder if we believe that there are some in our town, in our lives, in our circles of influence, that God has been preparing to receive his gospel. I remember um, I did a placement. I was at Bible College in Belfast, and we did a placement, a wee group of us down south in England, and we spent six weeks in this church, and it was a wonderful evangelist who was uh, in charge of our wee group of people. And we were to go out just to speak to people and then to chap on doors and all, all this kind of stuff. And we were all absolutely petrified at the prospect. But I remember he, he said to us, just remember that there is treasure the Lord has prepared out there for you. And uh, you will speak to some people and they will be completely closed. You will knock on some doors and they'll slam in your face. And that's fine because you're only looking for the treasure, those whom God has prepared to receive you and to receive your message. And it was true and it's always stuck with me. We are just looking for the treasure that God has been preparing to receive, not so much us, but to receive the message that we are called to carry to them. I wonder if you have eyes to see and faith to speak. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned, verse 4. And then remarkably, verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. There's this amazing period of national mourning and repentance, and then verse 10 says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, 
he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. We've said a few times that the story could have ended there. It could have ended it with Jonah being thrown overboard at the end of chapter 1. Could have finished there, couldn't it? A sad ending from the man who tried to run from God. Let that be a lesson to you. It could have been a one-chapter book. Or it could have ended at the end of chapter 2. Jonah saved on the beach and drenched in fish vomit, alive but not used by God, not dying in the sea but living in regret. What might have been had I just obeyed? Again, the story could have ended here at the end of chapter 3 with Nineveh repenting and God relenting, a happy ending. We all love that, don't we? Neat and tidy. But no, there is a fourth chapter to be told. If I were ever to write a commentary on Jonah, which is very unlikely, but uh, my, my chapters would be chapter one, rebellion, chapter two, repentance, chapter three, restoration, and chapter four, revelation. Revelation, because Jonah's heart is revealed to us in this chapter. We have assumed all the way through that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was frightened. But actually, that's not the case. Certainly, it's not the main reason he didn't want to go. It's not because he was afraid of rejection or afraid of punishment by the people in this pagan city with a reputation for violence. Not so. So the end of chapter 3 says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened. Then into chapter 4, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. It's a revelation of Jonah's heart. Now we have a revelation of the heart of God. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. So it wasn't so much fear that kept Jonah from going to Nineveh. The main reason he didn't want to go was because he knew the nature of his God. And there was some kind of bigotry or pride or nationalism within his heart that meant he wanted God to withhold the very blessings that he had come to enjoy. He was quite happy to receive the love of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God himself, he didn't want to see the compassion of God, the love of God, the mercy of God given to them over there. If you look at chapter 2 and scan through it and then scan through chapter 4, it's amazing. It's amazing that a man could recognize his need for mercy and rescue and salvation, that a man could see his utter helplessness that a man could recognize he has nothing that he can do and that he has no one that he can blame but himself. That a man could then turn 
to God and cry out for salvation and be saved. That a man could then offer his praise to God for the salvation that he has come to enjoy. And then that that same man could grudge the grace that he has received from others, that he, he could want that withheld from other people. How childish Jonah is. We've thought in the children's talk about uh, growing up to be mature in, in Christ. We must be childlike, but we must not be childish. How childish Jonah is, and what an insult to God, what an insult to the grace of God. I hope there is no person, and I hope there is no people group that we would grudge the grace of God to. I hope there is no person, no people group that any of us would want to see kept from the grace and the love that we have found so freely in Jesus. And so we support Kieran and Ashley and the United Arab Emirates. We support IREF and India. We support the Baptist Missionary Society around the world. But I hope it also goes without saying that we are called not only to support missionaries, but to be missionaries here in our own town. God provides an illustration for Jonah. He allows a vine to grow and to shelter him from the sun. Happy Jonah. And then God provides a worm to munch its way through this vine. And the shelter, the shade from the sun is gone. Grumpy Jonah again. And then the book ends with these words. Chapter 4, verse 9. God said to Jonah, Do you have the right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? How many people are there in our town? Wikipedia says 37,000. The internet's never wrong, so we'll go with that. 37,000 people in our town, who spiritually speaking, or most of whom, spiritually speaking, do not know their right hand from their left. Should not the Lord be concerned about Airdrie? Should not the Lord be concerned about Scotland? And should not we be concerned about Airdrie and about Scotland? Shouldn't we, having read Jonah's story, had his life and his heart laid bare before us, shouldn't we check to make sure our hearts are not cold and bitter like Jonah's and our lives are lived under the authority of his word and in the light of his love? As those who can say with Jonah, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Salvation comes from the Lord. As those who can say that with Jonah, may we remember that we are saved by grace. May we rest and rejoice in that salvation. And may we also remember that we are sent by grace. Sent by grace with the gospel. 
And may we go assured that our God is the one who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Grace and compassion, patience and love that we have seen so clearly in our Lord and Savior, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the subject of our song as we come to a close. We are going to sing how deep the Father's love for us, but let's just bow our heads and our hearts in the Lord's presence together as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for the book of Jonah. We thank you that we have come to see that though the book bears the name of Jonah, it's not really about Jonah at all. It's about you. It's about the God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. It's about the God who, flowing from your own love, your own nature, your own compassion, sent the most precious gift that you could send into the world. You sent your one and only Son to seek and to save that which was lost. Father, we were lost. Even those of us who were brought up to live in a very respectable fashion, brought up to attend church, all of us, we were lost. But you found us. You saved us. You washed us clean. You welcomed us into your family forever. In your grace, no matter what we face in life, we need know no fear because you are with us and you are for us. You have conquered even death. And so, Father, as we reflect on and rejoice in the many and myriad blessings that are ours in the Lord Jesus Christ, only because of your nature, not because of our nature, our goodness, May we long to see others, all others, in this world filled with, with bitterness between different nations and different groups of people. May we long to see all people groups come to find the grace and the love that we have found in Jesus. And may we remember our high and our holy calling in Christ to take the gospel to our community, knowing that what is impossible for us and for them is possible for you. Maybe look for the treasure that you have for us in Christ. Amen. I stand together then as we sing how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure.